0: podcast from two and a Mike is i think it's really cool and um that is what i wanted to say two and a mic two, 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 two.
1: Kara and I came together via Ale at Briskby, and I'm eternally grateful to Ale for the introduction. Here's why. Kara is a person who has a phenomenal capacity to give. I don't know her personally. I've not had the pleasure. But the way she has communicated with me, the way she has gone about doing this podcast, she twice tried to do the podcast with me, my way, but the result was that she didn't feel it was her. So she went away and presented this absorbing retelling of her life. It's not easy to do that, and it fascinates me that she's so driven on the one hand to complete a task she set herself, but also on the other hand that she has reached that level of understanding that she knows what works best for her. We simply don't always know what we want, nor what we truly need either. Kara is the personification of courage, sincerity and openness. There's something about Kara's reflections that ring true with some of my experiences. Obviously not at the same sporting and achievement level, but on the basis of relating to what she says, how she lived, and the simple things she appreciated, and that which motivated her. She talks about dealing with misdiagnoses which led to her taking lithium for five years, while also being an elite athlete, which is very rare. She then talks about the difficulties she had to overcome within herself, her home life, her less-than-privileged background. Kara is open about her neurodiversity, the medication she had to be on, and where she is now with regards to her mind, body, and sport. She reveals how lonely she felt, isolated, and how it felt to not be understood and all the while pushing herself up that hill to make sure she could compete. I've always said my podcast is about giving other people a voice. This podcast episode keeps me true to my word. Thank you, Cara, for all of the time you have put into recounting your story for me, and I look forward to finding out how we go forward from here. Enjoy.
0: Hi Zach and all of your listeners. Um, It's really great to be talking to you again. Although for context, I'm not actually talking to you. I'm in a room on my own recording this Um, because we, I guess, tried to record it a couple of times. And I mean, the first time I was like, what on earth is this? This is awful. With all the tangents that I went off on, um, and then the second time, I think I tried to edit it for about three days. So I'm an expert in using Audacity. Now I could become a sound engineer, but I mean, in the in the purposes in the purposes of honesty, like last night, I was just in such a mood, like I couldn't even move. I was on the floor, and I was just like my brain has stopped, as it does sometimes. And I'll explain a bit about that later. Um, I, it's shut down, I can't talk, I can't move, there was a bug in the system. And eventually, I worked out that it's because I just wasn't happy with the podcast, and I wasn't happy with how I was doing it. And I didn't see how it was going to be like doable in the long term. I was like, I can't take three days out to edit things every time we have a conversation, um, and it's not going to sound natural. Like you wanted it to sound natural, and yeah, so I kind of came to the conclusion. Is actually after listening to a podcast of another lady, um, it was it was a podcaster who who usually has has conversations with people and this time he just like let her take over. Um, And so yeah, after like listening listening to that and, and remembering that, it kind of prompted me like, you know what, I'm doing things my way now. So why would I do that in every other aspect of my life and then try and conform to typical standards when it comes to podcasting? like I accept that I'm a bit different and that I struggle with communication so I'm afraid this is the way it's gonna have to be and I'm really sorry that one of the first things that you said to me when you introduced your podcast is yeah so I just really let I just really let the conversation flow and we just have a really natural conversation and just see where it goes it's just it's just about being natural and just you know having it a back and forth and, and letting it evolve. And basically I tried to do that twice and now I've completely gone back on that and everything your podcast stands for. So I'm sorry. But then again, if you're talking about real conversations, like this is the way that... This is me being completely honest. This is the way that I need to do things. Um, So, you know, hopefully... Hopefully you'll get a bit more out of me with me being true to myself. and I'm sorry that it's really odd, but I'm trying to be unapologetically me at the moment. Um, I'm sure you would have like given the listeners a bit of context in your introduction, but and hopefully that will provide them with a bit of context as to why I've just spoken about me being unapologetically me and true to myself now. Um, Just to make sure they do understand, Um, I have high functioning autism and I am owning my difference for the first time in my life. It's taken 31 years, but um, yeah, I'm trying to be true to myself and like my experience over the last few days and to be honest, the last couple of months trying to do this podcast like every now and then building up the courage to go back to it just reminded me of what I'm trying to avoid and trying to be a square peg in a round hole all my life and all my sporting career and, you know, having quite a complex set of injuries the last few months and and being away from the training centre and being ready to be open and be myself. Um, I've really experienced what it feels like to just be comfortable and not have to try to be something that I'm not and so the little moments in the last couple of months and and the last few days where I've almost been unwittingly trying to kind of strong arm myself back into (laughs) um, a hole that I don't fit in um, it kind of reminded me of really what I'm trying to avoid and why I'm trying to avoid it. Um, it's not a nice feeling. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a bit of the context. Um, and where do, where do I start now? This is where I need someone <laughs> to ask me questions. <laughs> um but I will refer to the conversations that we've already had so in a way Zach you are still a very integral part to like me getting my story out there um it's just the final edit it's I think it's gonna have to just be me talking (laughs) because that's just the odd way that my brain works um and I guess that kind of prompts me to answer one of the questions that you did ask me when we spoke, which was, what is what is neurodiversity? Um, because that is the term that I like to use rather than high-functioning autism. Um, because I find that if you tell someone you have autism... It doesn't always go down well because there's a lot of stigma attached to it. There are a lot of preconceptions that I don't think are correct. I personally think a lot more people have autism than you realise. A lot of them are just high functioning enough to get along in life. Um, But it doesn't stop the fact that they have to try really, really, really hard behind the scenes to come across normal. And I really wish that we lived in a society where people... people could just be themselves and they weren't judged negatively for it um so you know in in the past I've been called blunt and pretty much rude and I've been told that I have a personality problem from being myself and and therefore you know trying to get along in sport and be my best in sport and a team sport I ended up really changing the way that I came across and communicated. And by the end of my sporting career, I literally felt like just a big bunch of walking rules. So like in my head, I see it as like, you know, when people put those elastic bands together and make a ball of elastic bands, um, that was me, but each band was a rule. I was literally like you, I was in there somewhere, but I was so far below all of those rules and all of those rules like are really restrictive. And really take a toll on you. And so in the last few months when I've been rehabbing my injuries. And I've not been around um, as many people. Or at least it's been on my own terms. I've been away from the training centre. It's been such a relief to kind of like strip myself of each rule. Like one at a time. And then it's funny because obviously went to do the podcast with you. And suddenly I was back to... um, using those rules and feeling restricted again and and yeah that's what I want to avoid um so what I was saying was um neurodiversity that is a term that I like to use rather than high-functioning autism it's also an umbrella term that covers a number of conditions such as uh, ADHD as well and dyslexia and dyspraxia um and as well as it being realized in in recent years that autism is a spectrum um there's also a lot of studies that show a huge crossover between say autism and adhd and all of these conditions that come under neurodiversity basically neurodiversity explains people whose brains are they're wired differently but more than that they're they have more neural pathways in certain areas and I like to say it this way around because it's like, oh, they have strengths and then they have weaknesses because of those strengths um, and then they have less neural pathways and connections in other areas and typically for people with autism and for me, it's it's the communication part that um, I find really difficult. I find processing, that it's almost like there's something missing in my brain when it comes to processing communication, when it comes to understanding people's facial expressions, like when to talk, what to say. Um, I'm I'm so bad at small talk and things, it really takes it out of me. There's a lot of brain power that has to go into it. But then f- you ask me to, I don't know, do something sporty where I have to put my mind to something, it's just me against the ergo, for instance. I'll be really good at that. Um, I'm like a dog with a bone or alternatively you ask me to draw a picture of something and I mean it sounds big-headed but like I can draw it exactly like the picture like I'm very creative so yeah neurodiversity just explains people whose brains are not typical and you know I think that's fine but unfortunately we live in a society where there's a certain standard expected of everyone and I do think it's changing and I want it to keep changing and what I'm trying to do now is make sure that sport catches up because I think society is changing but sport is not changing quick enough and some sports are changing um, quicker than others but there are some sports that are still quite deeply rooted in tradition Um, and I, I hate to say it but I do think rowing is one of them it is changing and I'm actually working with a charity connected with British Rowing um who are the national governing body of rowing in England and the charity is Love Rowing um and so that's that charity is all about inclusivity and bringing rowing to the masses and that's great so you know although I'm kind of saying oh I'm moving away from my sport now because I can't take it anymore I can't be this walking bunch of rules I don't feel I can be myself uh it's not all dismal. I really do think there are changes happening. But for me, you know, it might take another five years to to really um, come to fruition. And I don't have another five years. I'm 31. It needs to be happening right now. And the fact that it's in the process is, is not early enough for me. Um, and also I've got all these injuries. I've got like, um, I had capsulitis in my hip, tendinitis in my psoas and my glute med. You know, I've got some pathology in my hip. And then also, I think because I'd just been training through that for so long and just putting on a brave face and and not being able to communicate how much pain I was in, because that's just typically me, um, I ended up giving myself a tear in one of my discs in my back. Um, So, yeah, I don't have the... I don't have the time in terms of age and my body is also worn out and then that also leads me to talk about another reason that I'm worn out and that is that I was misdiagnosed as having bipolar in maybe like 2013 or 2014 and was put on lithium and eventually lamotrigine and quetiapine and I spent maybe five or six years on the squad taking these medications for something that I didn't have which is apparently quite common among females especially with autism or ADHD traits because you have the ADHD which which makes you like um, super productive and you have all these ideas and you want to do them and then and you can also hyper focus and then you have the autism, which just crashes you sometimes. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I was taking all this medication and for those of you, those listeners who know about these medications, um, there's a reason like lithium is so famous or infamous, I should say, because it. I mean, I'm sure it works for some people but especially when you don't really need to be taking it, like I wasn't manic at any point. Um, it's not a nice thing to be taking. It's basically like taking sedatives. And then I was trying to be um, an elite athlete and perform at my best. And I also had the extra um, difficulties with communication that was, that was still there and the other pitfalls that come with um, being autistic and, um, more neurodiverse so yeah I had I had years of really really struggling and I'm tired I feel okay to admit it now like I'm really tired of it like I fought the fight from the inside for so long I think i'm ready to fight it from the outside and also i'm ready to just be kind to myself and be kind to my body i've really asked a lot of my body and my mind for a lot of years um and i just i don't want to do that anymore like when you're young for some reason or at least i felt and a lot of athletes i think feel this way like when you're young you're like you love the pain and you love to prove that you're like hard as nails and you can do anything and you you'll sacrifice anything for sport and that's great but as you get older your motivations change and then with all of the difficulties that i've been through like every time i hurt myself through sport i i was just like no i need my body for the rest of my life and also like i doubt anyone else has been on lithium for five years and tried to be an elite athlete and I just, I really, I, f- I really feel in the depth of my soul that I need to pay myself back and be kind to myself. And then that also brings me on to what I want to do now, which is primarily make sure nobody else goes through what I went through. Like, that is my primary goal. I do not want any neurodiverse athlete to be treated with the wrong thing or in the wrong way and I don't want them to not achieve their full potential just because they're different like I do think it is up to neurodiverse athletes to find ways to work with other people um but at the same time they they need to be able to be themselves doing that so I think there's compromise that isn't necessarily happening right now that could be happening. So it's also up to the coaches and the support staff to understand those athletes. And so that's what I want to do is, you know, I stop people or neurodiverse people from going through the the trials and tribulations that I went through. But I do that by advocating, raising awareness and educating coaches, support staff and the athletes. Um and the raising awareness part also I think it doesn't just make sure ensure that coaches and support staff and even the athletes themselves like are aware of neurodiversity and why people might be a certain way or why it's important for people to be themselves because you know if you're trying to get every single ounce of yourself you know onto the end of that or handle in that foot plate um, or on the track if you're a runner or you know I don't know in your your swing if you're some kind of batter um, like you don't want to be expending that that precious energy on how you're communicating Um, so that's why I think understanding which comes with awareness is really important but also part of the awareness rating I want to combat the stigma that currently exists and you know why I'm sort of championing this neurodiversity umbrella because it feels different than autism autism to me feels like a disability right because there are some people autistic people that are very disabled from it you know they have a lot less uh, neural pathways in certain areas um, and that makes Some things almost impossible for them, right? So, for them, they are disabled. But for me, I don't feel disabled, and I think there are a lot of neurodiverse people that don't feel disabled. We just feel different because, luckily for us, the the things that we lack in certain areas, we really, really have a lot of in others. Um, And I think for those people. Um, it's really important to highlight those strengths so that they're not viewed as their weaknesses. But also it's important to have an understanding of the weaknesses because you want to avoid that pitfall of, which I've had a lot in in my past, is people seeing your strength and being like, wow, this girl, she's got something going on. Like, she's really special. And then... (laughs) you just fall over at the most like the most like ridiculous things and people are just left with almost like blank faces and they're like what on earth just happened like why why did that what I thought she was and then this happened is she is she just crazy like I have been called crazy and mad in the past um uh, not in front of my face but behind my back um, and I'm not crazy or mad I just have some weaknesses but you know if if I was able to be more open about them then people could just give me a little helping hand and not expect things of me that um, I can't do but it and it's not to say that I absolutely do not think neurodiverse athletes should get a free pass like no way they need to be fast enough but do they need to do things exactly the same way as everyone else? If if those things if there is another way to do it that doesn't take as much out of them and gives what other people need as well, why not do it? So yeah, that's that's in essence why why I'm doing what I'm doing and um or why I'm doing what I'm sort of setting out to do now in the very early stages of doing it um and that's also why I think it's really important just for context I keep pausing the recording every now and then to just to just have a little think and make sure I've not said anything offensive <laughs> and to make sure I know where I'm going with this um because I tend to be like really clumsy with how I say things um one of the recordings that we did that I'm going to ask that to put in the bin. Um, I think I was like really offensive to the entire working class and everyone at my old rowing club accidentally when I was trying to pay them a compliment. Um, and I'll explain that a bit later. So yeah, that's what the weird, awkward um, pauses will be. If you can hear them, maybe you can't hear them, but yeah. So... I guess referring back to the conversation that I had with you Zach um we talked a bit about the context and then we talked about like where when I started rowing and where I started rowing so um I guess I'll just move on to that a bit about me um so I started rowing through a charity outreach project in Southampton which it was called Project Awesome or The Awesome Project, one of the two. Um, And it came to my school and ran um, an after-school sort of ergo session or sessions uh, for a little bit of time. And then for the kids that were still kind of interested, we then got to go down the rowing club. So this awesome project was run from Southampton Coal Porters, which was my rowing club. Um and the project was run through ver- from various rowing clubs throughout the country. So this was my local one and I'm I'm very grateful that the people at Cole Porters applied to host the project. Um I mean partly it's because I think they wanted the grant to improve their facilities. But at the same time, you know, volunteers had to give up their time and energy to go to the club and introduce state school kids to to this sport that they wouldn't have otherwise um had access to and I, at the time I I did every after school club going so like every sports club um and I was like yeah I'll try this um and I went down the club a bit but I say I, when I tell my story usually I just say yeah I loved it from the start but I didn't well, I kind of I did like it, but at the same time, I was just hanging out with a bit of a, a naughty naughty crowd of kids. Um that was, that was my accent coming, naughty. Um part of having autism is that you just pick up on the people around you. So I have this really posh accent now as doing this podcast. I listen to my voice and I'm like, "What?" where did that come from but um like I'm from Southampton and I lived on a council estate for the first 10 years of my life and it was just when I went to the junior worlds and since then sort of hanging around with people that row who are generally like privately educated and stuff like I just morphed my accent into theirs I don't know why just to fit in maybe subconsciously um But I came back, I literally only spent two months uh, preparing for the Junior Worlds. And I came back and my sister was like, you sound really posh. Um, (laughs) But yeah, sorry, that was a tangent. Um, So yeah, Southampton Coal Porters. Yeah, I didn't actually like love it straight away because I was more interested in just being a bit naughty and just, you know, experimenting with different friends. But part of my, my issue is that I find it really hard to make genuine connections with people. But the connections I do make are very strong. Um, But I, I just, I guess it's because the communication for me is hard. So then I find it really hard to open up to people. Like it's actually, it feels like a physical thing. Like my whole body just feels... I say spiky to my husband. I'm like, I feel spiky when... Like a dog with hackles up when I when I have to communicate with new people. Um, but I'm very good at hiding it. So, yeah, this was a friendship group that I was experimenting with. I was experimenting with just like um, drinking vodka on the street corner. <laughs> uh, getting into fights and stuff. And when I was at the club, just being really naughty and annoying I know I was really annoying to the like lead coaches the volunteers um like some of the things I did I just didn't know where the boundaries were I like in looking back it's like that's bullying but I kind of didn't I just like took a joke too far so I think i like got a load of berries from a bush nearby and just like put them all in someone's bag and then like I think I was like yeah yeah let's cut the straps like looking back I'm like oh my god what the hell I ended up being really good friends with this person um after a while but like I just that was me learning like where the boundaries are and that's probably a little bit like ADHD autism but um yeah I was a bit of a nuisance and Typical me though I yeah I didn't attend very often I know. I think I stopped attending for a bit and swapped friendship groups a few more times. I literally would be like <clears throat> um so yeah I don't want to be friends with you anymore so goodbye. Um, <laughs> like looking back I'm like oh now I've learned a bit more about like social etiquette and stuff I'm just like oh my god that's just so embarrassing people must just think I'm awful but I'm sorry can't help it um and then yeah after a few more swaps I think I kind of had a moment of introspection and was like you know what I want to do that rowing thing again and luckily for me the club was just over the river from my house um there was just a scrapyard or two scrapyards and a body of water between us um like the sound of scrap for me like scrap metal just falling in the distance is like it's just really nostalgic I <laughs> literally I would look out my window and there would be a crane with just like craning up cars and just like dropping them on the top of a pile and just you could hear the sort of like the metal just falling all the way down the pile and I mean if I was next to it I'd hate it because it would be really loud and I don't like really loud noises but the sort of distant rumble is... A very like just a very nice memory for me and so when I hear it now I just and sa- same with seagulls like because there would be like seagulls around because it was a the Itchen river is um sort of at the mouth mouth of the river so there would be seagulls around and also it always smelt like eggs because it was quite like swampy there and there would be a tide and it would go up and down and just love the smell of eggs and I just love the sound of scrap metal um (laughs) but yeah so yeah luckily for me the rowing club was literally like a 10 minute walk over over the bridge and I just built up the courage one day to to walk back over the bridge and I, I really remember this I remember like oh just I sort of had my head down and I was just um kind of a bit sheepish and I could see all the people down there and I could see like one of the coaches Alan Booth who was like the nice one and then you had Nick Chamani, who was like the hard ass but he did end up being my my main coach for the time I was at Coldwater so I'll go back to him because I really need to give him a shout out but um I sort of I sort of walked down the steps and Alan kind of looked at me and was like oh you and sort of you know give me a ruffle of the head um, and that was all I needed, really. And, and I'd say from then is when I was like, I love this. And I think part of it was that it felt like a second family to me. Um, and I would just go there every night after school. Um, just walk there and walk home. And just the women's squad was great. The people were great. It was just such an eclectic bunch of people. Um, and they didn't... They didn't judge me. Um, they didn't... There was no, like, complications with communication. And I don't know if that's because I was a child and people speak a certain way to a child or a teenager. Um, or if it's... And this is where I fend the working class um <laughs> or if it's a working class thing um I just feel like for me the experience that I've had is the higher up you go in like society sort of social standing as such um you know you go to middle class you go to upper class um the more I don't I don't I can't say that BS um and the more like fluffy language you have to put up with so and the more small talk there is so it's like the more difficult I found communication but the coal porters yeah it could have been could have been a social standing thing and you know people don't have time to chat rubbish not saying that all middle class and upper class people do Um, I'm gonna go the other way and offend them now um but yeah, they don't have the time or energy to to fluff things up or they don't have a need for it. Um, I don't know. Or because I was a child. But I did find I had a lot less issues with sort of understanding people and being understood. I felt really, really incredibly supported. I had a lot of friends because I could just be open and be myself. Um yeah and I loved it and and part of part of that was the second family thing was sorry my chair's all squeaky. Um, part of the second family thing was that at home things were like quite difficult or like there was a lot of tension in the house like my sister and my dad really clashed and my parents were very stressed and they were working really hard and they just have a sort of passionate, tumultuous kind of relationship. So the arguments would be insane like so loud. And, um, and like my dad was a bit of a disciplinarian. So for me, I just needed to get out of the house a lot like I'd come home and I'd be like "Ugh, I don't like I really 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 don't like confrontation um I think because it takes a lot for me to process and also I don't like the loud noises and stuff um so I was just like get out of here um but I just also want to say I it took a while for me to kind of process in retrospect my parents being so um I guess a little bit distant and a little bit harsh in some ways but as an adult I look back and I'm like I guess full of respect and admiration a little bit because um they literally worked in in a factory before they had us and then when we were younger they took themselves to college and university and I remember holding my mum's hand and walking to university with her Um, and um, I remember like all of her papers just spread out on the bed and she's looking after three children and we're living in a council house and they're just trying their best to elevate themselves and they did maybe sacrifice a bit of their time and energy at the time but you know, where they are now is, is absolute leagues away from where they were or could have been. And where I am now is leagues away from where I might've been if they had not done that. So I look back and I'm grateful and I'm respectful, but it doesn't stop it being really difficult and traumatic at the time. And, and my sister, I guess she was a bit older, so she probably took the brunt of it and was, more aware of it and had more struggles at the time and i don't think she's quite over it like her relationship with my parents is still quite fractured and that's a real shame and i understand that as well um but yeah that's why i kind of wanted to be out of the house and that maybe is is part of the reason why i was just always always down the rowing club um and i love i love the little routine um so that's that's why that's how I started that's that's where I started and then and then I guess how I I got into junior stuff and what as well is um and this is where Nick Chamani comes in um he he probably doesn't realize it because I was probably looking back as an adult I, I was probably just one of you know a few quite a few girls and women he coached but to me he is such an important person in my life like we don't even speak that often now but we can easily pick it up where we left off but he is the reason that I row, rode and he is the reason that I'm such a confident and capable person considering the struggles that I have like he spoke my language <laughs> he would take me to the regattas would encourage me to do things um he would take me all the way up to Nottingham he had a family he had a job he worked nights sometimes but he would do these things just because he was a kind person and he would stand up for me in you know the junior trials selection um what were they they were like so all the coaches went kind of went into a room together I think and you know they tried to sort of say oh you know we think that this girl should be in the in the boat, even though I had basically won everything at the trials. And he was like, what are you talking about? Blah, blah, blah. And I think it was just because... I think they kind of wanted to keep... please the public schools. And Cole Porters didn't really matter because who else was really going to come from Cole Porters? But he wasn't having any of that. And he kind of like, was like, you are not doing that to her. And And then in terms of me, he would just be like... You got this, you can do this, you go on just he just i don't know i can't I can't explain it, but he he just really said everything, how it was, and was so encouraging and just really believed in me, and I don't think he realizes how much I kind of referred to my memories with him and with all of the girls at Cole Porter's throughout my career. And it's almost like the further away I get from that period and the, the more difficulties I've had in between is it feels like the the weaker I've got I know that sounds really bad and sad, but like that was that worked for me and then the things that came after didn't. So I was like hanging on to that memory that worked, um, and that strength. And then eventually it, it kinda ebbed away. But at the same time, I know that if I had had something like that um, when I was on the squad or a bit older, I could have thrived. So there, there are possibilities for for people like me in the future. Um, that it just reminds me actually of. Um why mentoring is so important especially for neurodiverse people i just had a moment there when i was thinking um you know i was thinking about if i if i'm identifying a problem and i'm saying something needs to change right i need to say what it needs to change too and i do think that especially neurodiverse people need mentoring they need they need mentoring from people that know about neurodiversity ideally neurodiverse athletes or ex-athletes but there's a problem with disclosure at the moment because there's stigma behind it right no one wants to be known as neurodiverse or I would say some people are able to talk about it once they've done well but when you're in the throes of like training and selection and if you've had bad experiences you don't want to talk about it but I really do think that bespoke mentoring um is something that's really, really necessary. Because I've had a lot of mentoring in the past, but most of them don't really know about neurodiversity. And sometimes I didn't even feel like I could say it. And if I did say it, they'd kind of like step back a bit. Um, and then it also means that things that they say that might work for, um, you call them neuroty- neurotypical people, they really don't work for you. And it, it, sometimes it makes you feel worse. So the way that they talk about anxiety and just kind of there's the... Uh, things that you might need to do to get over anxiety they don't they don't work and they just kind of ignore the fact that sort of anxiety is kind of like built into being neurodiverse and um, yeah you might be able to uh, have kind of ways to to reduce it or get around it but it's going to look very different to how a normal person might like I'm not going to do mindfulness I cannot like I cannot wind myself down enough to do mindfulness. I cannot concentrate enough on something so boring. Like I I'm I don't feel bad about saying it anymore. Like I'm not trying to be someone that I'm not. Like I cannot change my lack of attention to certain things. Like I would never be able to sit there and and really meditate. Like it's just not possible. Like it does not compute. So things like that and then but I was still because I'm so diligent right I would still try and do it. So I'm just constantly doing things like that don't necessarily work it's just adding to that adding to that big ball of elastic banded rules that um, are just complicating issues and not actually helping right. So yeah I just I would have to sit down and think a bit more about um, good examples but I, I really do think there's something to be said for like bespoke treatment and I say treatment that sounds medical but to bespoke mentoring and advice for neurodiverse people. And I mean that is also something that I kind of want to look into later on like I mean it is out there but it's out there more for um just in general terms and for like jobs, normal jobs, not necessarily for sports people. Um but like I said, I actually, I actually think that there are more neurodiverse sports people than it's given, given credit for. And therefore there is a need for it. It's not like there's like one or two people. So what's the point in creating a charity? Um, sorry, I just dropped that in there. Yeah. I am set up a CIC in August. (laughs) It's called neurodiverse sport. Um, haven't done anything with it yet, but (laughs) I'm in the process. Um, but yeah i I think that I think it's like two percent of people have autism that's just autism so there's gonna be a lot more who have dyslexia, dyspraxia um, ADHD there's a lot lot of other conditions um, but even two percent that's two in a hundred so if your sports team at like this big sports team but you're gonna have looking at the minimum and just autism you're going to have one or two people in each sports team or sports organization that have autism so if you account for all of the other conditions and then all of the people that don't want to disclose um or haven't got a diagnosis but are a bit different right you're going to have like five to ten people and when you're talking about getting every single second or every single millisecond out of a performance but I think there's <laughs> there's really something missing there like we're not taking advantage of exploring because these people are talented enough to be around because that's kind of like what I was like I was talented enough to be around but imagine if I actually like this sounds really big-headed like I'm not, <laughs> I'm, not I'm not like that at all but imagine if I actually had the understanding of other people and the help to to thrive like if I was already good enough to to be around when I was taking lithium um, 1400 milligrams of lithium a day and also fighting a battle on my own like imagine what I could have done if I just had some understanding some help um Sorry, I have to use myself as an example. And I I really hate actually talking about myself. Which is funny because I'm doing podcasts. But then it has taken me all this time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then I think. And, yeah. So, I just had to pause it. Just to get gather my thoughts again. Because I, ha- had, I had something in my brain. And then it kind of like flew away. And now it's kind of back again. It, it might fly away again. But... I think the point that I was going to make was, oh yeah, so, so I, I, I use myself as an example, which I hate doing, but I actually, like the example is not just my opinion, it's, it's objective as well. So if I give a of context to that, like I was only diagnosed as having autism in 2019 by the UK sport mental health panel and I was the first subject of that, um, the first of many, um, and so sad like let's get the violin out but i'm pretty sure i heard through the grapevine um and i'm not stupid that they kind of were like we need to find a way to bin this person right <laughs> because i was not thriving but like i said i was just about good enough to stay on the team and they wanted they wanted someone else who they wanted to open the door to other athletes who, who might do better um, And I I do understand that but when you haven't done everything that you could do for an athlete that's not the right way to go and luckily for me the performance director at the time Brendan Purcell kind of asked that question he was like what have we done have we done everything we can for this athlete and the coaches were like yeah we have we've done everything and he was like no I don't think you have well this mental health panel is um has just been put together let's get her to see see them so I did, and that's when I was re-diagnosed with autism. It's like three of the best psychiatrists, psychologists, sports psychologists in the country together came to my home, looked at all of my medical notes, which I had to get, which was kinda hard, big wadge of notes. Um, um spoke to my husband, spoke to a few people, spoke to me, and basically I was re-diagnosed with autism. Um, they're like, you do not need to be on all this medication. We're going to titrate you off over a period of time. Um, And you're going to have therapy as well because, you know, you've been through a lot. Um, On that note, note to myself, I need to go back to something about that in a minute. Um, And yeah, basically I, you know, that year I was a spare for the team. So... Um, that's like you know one step from being out the door and then the next year after making all those changes I was selected for the Olympics and then obviously COVID happened which is super annoying um, that really really affected our team quite a lot but and like especially like selection and R8 R8 didn't do very well at, at the Olympics the next year But there was there was so much behind that. Like there was a lot of mismanagement and um a lot of people were made to feel pretty bad. But you know, I actually because I'd been through so much, for me, the the like the difficulties that everyone was experiencing then I was like, Oh, this is fine, this is a walk in the park. I feel great. Like I feel really great not being on lithium and um having had covid i i had some time not had covid i did have covid but having had like lockdown and not being able to train centrally and the olympics being delayed like that really worked for me because i had time to reset and like grow to understand myself so as much as those things um and the difficulties with that were going on in the team at the time really affected a lot of people on the team like I was like on my own. On my own little island like thriving. Um, so, but I can completely understand. Where everyone else is coming from. Like if you haven't. If you're not used to. That kind of adversity. And that kind of treatment. Then then you get it in the year that you. You'll have your. In the year that you're. Selected for the Olympics. And going to the Olympics. Like that's like the biggest curveball. And when you have. A lot of people you're gonna have a big team of people working together who are all going through that kind of difficulty at once. It kind of is like a is like a an animal in itself, like it, everyone everyone kind of the difficulty kind of becomes amplified. Right. It's not that people are trying to be that way, it's just the way it is. And that's why I say mismanagement, it's like a group of people who are who are really struggling aren't are put uh, like kept together and not given the help that they need and and then yeah that the the result was was not great um and already this year like management's changed Uh, we've got a new head coach and the team is thriving and that's great um yeah so I guess my point is that objectively I improved so much um and like I said like luckily for me although the Olympics didn't go that well like being selected for the Olympics is great so obviously that's proof that I had improved I went from spare to being one of the top athletes in the squad um but at least I also had a race in the four in Lucerne where I, I had to sub in for someone who unfortunately um was bereaved um and we won a silver medal. And that was like with three three days practice. So for me, that was really great because I love objective data. So um, as much as I can say to you and say to other people, like it really, really helped me um, having people understand me. I actually had a communication plan that I shared with the coaches, um, not being on all that medication, having the right diagnosis. As much as I can say those things being understood really 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 helped me and made my performance better objectively i can show you that it did i went from spare to getting a medal at the world cup um yeah and that's what i want to help other people to do now just having another little pause went down a rabbit hole and i've uh, i've lost my way um i was actually considering deleting that last bit but i'm going to keep it in for the interests of honesty and really like letting in letting people into my head and um, the struggles that I have um, with like not jumping around and forming consistent thoughts and things. And I'll just really, really trying to be brave and honest and really let people into um, what goes on in my head rather than just putting up a front um so yeah I think I think I mentioned um about five minutes ago or so like that I was talking about my struggles and that. oh I just want to I just want to come back to that in a minute well I think it was that I do feel the need to to mention how I understand that some people might listen to me and think oh get over yourself Like some people might listen to me and think, but, but there are people dying and there are people starving and, you know, there are people losing limbs and there are people really, really ill. Um, and I don't know the point that I'm trying to make with this, but I I do appreciate that. I guess I feel like this is society is, is really polarized and, in the society that I am part of right now, I'm expected to be a certain way, and that's my reality, and that's what I'm struggling with. but I totally have respect and will, will like defer to the the struggles that other people have that are bigger than mine, but I'm just I'm telling my story for the sake of progress and progression and what society would ideally be like as a whole in in the far future um I guess I I believe that everyone should be able to be themselves and should be tolerant of each other um and so that's why I am of the opinion that I'm of and I'm doing what I'm doing but I just thought it was it was important for me to just caveat and say there is a little bug in my brain sometimes that says to me what are you like you like you're ridiculous like this is you're just whinging and just get over yourself (laughs) I don't know if that's from growing up in the 90s where it was like you know women couldn't have autism and um or ADHD, and um, well they, obviously they could, but that was like the view was just it was just males, and also unless you were like on death's door, just get over it, and that is something that I struggled with all my life. Is I feel like as a, as a society now, where like expectations have changed a lot, and it, we're not just expected to get over it, and that's why I'm kind of saying what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I do struggle with the kind of views and opinions that I formed when I was younger and and therefore it makes me a little bit paranoid as well telling my story because I'm like I'm sure there are a lot of other people that must feel the same um but yeah in conclusion to that a long-winded ramble um please be nice to me (laughs) please don't troll me uh I, I I I do check myself and I do know that in the the grand scheme of things, um, this is not, like, the biggest problem in the world, but, um, in the interests of society continuing to progress and inclusion and fairness, like, that's why I am pursuing this cause, um, because, yes, I, I didn't die, but... (laughs) And I, I did have a lot of great experiences, but I had some really, really traumatic ones and um, I don't want other people to have those. So I actually feel like I've kind of said enough for this first episode. Um sure Zach will kind of, he'd have given an intro and also given an outro just explaining that, we are kind of planning to do multiple episodes because I mean he he's heard my story a few times now um and there's a lot there's a lot of content and there's a lot of detail to go into like I've given you a very broad overview but you know it would be good to go a bit more into my childhood or go a bit more into some of the good experiences I've had versus the bad ones um partly well no fully (laughs) fully to kind of open people's eyes a bit Um, and also just in case there are like some neurodiverse athletes that hear this or you know are referred to this podcast and they listen to it um, it would be really great for them to listen and feel like I'm not alone because Uh, time to get your violins out again um like one of my biggest problems throughout my career was I felt completely alone and I felt like an absolute alien I felt like nobody understood me um apart from my husband just giving a shout out to my husband Mikey Mottram. um but even that took a lot of years uh and like I'm really difficult to live with like when when he proposed to me I I literally like almost had an autistic meltdown I I nearly knocked the ring out of his hand like I wanted to say yes but I I I think I was like yes but I don't like the way that you said it and I made him like say it in a different way and yeah I'm I'm really difficult I'm spiky a lot of the time and Um, sometimes I just shut down and he's just and he has to sort of coax me out back out of my shell Um, so I'm very fortunate to have had him but throughout my career I did feel extremely alone and isolated and I think just if I had just heard some stories uh, like mine to to kind of like show that I wasn't the only person that had ever gone through this in sport um, I think it would have made me feel a lot better and a lot less kind of crazy. Um, and it would have been nice to like hear how how those people or that person had worked worked it out. Um, and I know there are a few people that are openly autistic. Through a few athletes are openly autistic or ADHD but there aren't many that have disclosed it or that the media are kind of like pushing out there um and also part of the this is this is something that I'm really going to have to think about is how to get this information to autistic athletes or to neurodiverse athletes because as an athlete I don't know if it was because I had so many things that I was juggling at one time with all my rules and things like I did not have the mental energy or the physical energy to kind of step outside that tunnel that I was in of sport and kind of to reach out and maybe it wasn't an energy thing maybe it was just um just the way that my brain works and or doesn't work I just my brain sometimes feels like a brick wall so um unless someone like holds my hand and takes me there I kind of won't go but once they've done it once then i and then i can keep going on my own so it's like how do i'm thinking about how i bridge the gap um and really bring take the help to to the athletes that need it when when communication is your biggest problem usually um like that's that's something to really think about there's a there's a lot of lines of communication that need to be um explored like you know how does the athlete communicate the difficulties that they're going through to for that to be identified by somebody else or by the coach for then me or someone who can help to then step in and help them um so if if any of the listeners have any ideas on that I'd love to hear from them and at the same time if any of the listeners kind of just want to talk to me or want to collaborate in any way um I'm absolutely open to that like you can find me on LinkedIn um or Instagram which I don't use very much or Facebook um and maybe once I've got my website and email address up and running like in one of the future podcasts I can put that on here but um for now I mean you know my name and you can just find me so I guess with that I'll hand back over to Zach and let him wrap up but thank you for listening if you've made it this far um I don't know I don't know what that says about you because I can't imagine who would actually want to listen to me for over an hour uh but yeah thank you very much and hopefully um we can you'll tune in next time And just for context, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get Zach to listen to this and either write down some questions or, like, we'll have a call and I'll answer some questions and then from that I'll do the same thing again where I go into a quiet room on my own after a a few days of processing and I will say what I want to say. Just, I think, when I'm having a conversation with someone there and then... Um, I just find it very disruptive to my flow so even to even today I've like had to stop just to pause and reset a few times so imagine what that would be like with having to kind of process someone else's questions and words and facial expressions and things. oh god i hate I hate being weird sometimes but um <laughs> I kind of love it sometimes as well so thank you and Goodbye.
1: Kara is doing something spectacular. She's taking all of the positivity and all of the negativity. She's taking all of the miscommunications and all her self-awareness. She's taking all of her feelings of isolation and her determination to reach out a hand in understanding and empathy and give it to people with neurodiversity, that which she didn't have. She's creating a home of acceptance for athletes who will benefit from the adversity she has always dealt with. Carrot is talking to everyone out there who feels alone and misunderstood. Despite how hard it may be to accept, how impossible your situation may seem, you must hang on in there and remember you're not an island. There are people willing to try to understand and embrace who you are. Communication is usually a big problem. There are many avenues that need to be identified and those who have lived through similar troubles don't have all the answers, but they can comprehend what it takes to put one foot ahead of the other every damn day. Kara, and I too for that matter, would love to hear back from you and if you'd like to collaborate with her, her details are in the podcast notes too. Thank you for listening and enjoy being and doing you. Two. Two, two, two and a mic. Two, two, two and a mic.